Welcome to Knowles 24-7's On the Bench podcast. This is Brendan Sinone, and if you can hear a little bit of, uh, I guess, ambient noise, that's Chris Nee. He is driving to Athens, uh, Georgia, not not Greece. Hey, Chris. Hey, buddy. This is this is like an old school episode where we would just record driving back from a game or something like that, where we didn't we, when we didn't care that much about audio quality. The good news is nobody can downvote this. They can't downvote this, and I wish the whole downvoting thing would have happened like a year ago before you went on your downvoting spree against me and before the DeAndre Francois starting against Notre Dame news, because I'd still be like a 96 or 97 right now instead of a fringe five-star 94. I'm, I'm glad you care about such things. How many times did you downvote me, would you say, Chris? Uh, five a day for about six days. <laughs> Probably about 300 times. <laughs> <laughs> just because just because you knew it would bother me or yeah, yeah. I, know, you I enjoy admit, watching you squirm you can admit that I was a uh, rising star in the in the 24-7s on Concord uh, rankings I was I was flying up the boards I was becoming an elite prospect people were enjoying my wit my banter and then <laughs> character issues you cut me down I'm I'm just trying to hold you down man you don't want this ego to get too big. You know what? Um, it was really the DeAndre one that really screwed me over. Broke the news that he was starting against Notre Dame. Like We got that up quickly. Uh, I think Wayne may have had it up like a minute beforehand. Um, but we had it around the same time, and that just got like, I think, like 100 downvotes. The most downvoted. Yeah, that's 20. Was that, that, that the most downvoted one we've ever had? A topic? I, I believe so, and it's 2018 football. I'm just trying to forget all of that. But I was one of your 160 downvotes for that. So <laughs> that. <laughs> no, you said you gave me an upvote. You lied. Anyways, this is enough. Oh, yeah. uh, Actually, no, I think I, I did just because I knew it was going to really bring you down. I was trying to help you out. Like, I enjoy holding you down. But I don't like seeing you in the doldrums of just miserableness. Uh, my guess would be is that we were rooming together and we had to drive from Chicago to South Bend. So you just didn't want me to be extra miserable for the entirety of the trip. I think it was more self-serving than anything. If I had to guess. Uh, Remember but, that steak we had? Yes, I do. And we had some really good whiskey as well. Thanks, Chris. Was that, was that to cheer me up too? Yeah, it was a good time. Chris, you're always, uh, he's always one for like a, once a, once a year we'll do a road trip. And when, when either I'm teetering or he's on the brink, the solution is uh, a steakhouse and alcohol, and that always seems to do the trick. And and it, and it was good this year. So we're doing this podcast today, kind of, it's not an emergency podcast by any means, but it's one that needed to get done if we want to be consistent by any stretch, and, and that's us kind of integrating my top 40 most, excuse me, my top 40 most important pod, or my top 40 most important player list into the podcast. Uh, gives Chris a chance to be a little critical of me, which we've established a minute ago he enjoys doing. Uh, I know some of our listeners and readers do as well, so I'm giving uh, the platform here for it to be articulated. Uh, but, but really, it's also a chance for us to look at, at guys and how we think they're going to contribute this year. So we talked about this, I think, about a week ago, the first five guys on the list. Uh, that was 40 through 36. That was running back Anthony Grant, wide receiver Keith Gavin, cornerback Travis Jay. Uh, Treshawn Harrison was at 37 wide receiver and Ricky Aguayo was at 36. That brings us to our list today. We're going to do 35 through 31 
and it included a uh, a late change, largely because of uh, Landon Dickerson's decision to re-enter the transfer portal. I had Dickerson, Chris, at I think at number six is where I had him on my list, the most important players. Like I thought he was important. I know you and Josh looked at that uh, and and didn't have any issues with it. I know I showed a couple of of readers who I'm friends with as well, and and no one said you know that was way off on him. Uh, and now in hindsight, I think some like to think that yeah, it wasn't as big of a loss. We've talked about that anyways, but were you okay with him being in that top 10 range, Dickerson, initially? Yeah, because I thought he was a starter and a capable guy of working at multiple positions if he was to stay healthy. And I think the common belief is that from a talent standpoint, he's arguably the most talented when they had on the roster, you know, when healthy. There's always the caveat of when healthy with him, but sure. he was kind of a swing man for them. He could sure up one of those five spots and help you figure out the rest as he went down the line. All right, and so you guys are going to find out if you aren't following the list as we post one every single day on Knowles 24-7. There was a late addition that we slid into the number 34 spot just because that's who it was due that day. And there was someone who just missed out initially, but I think his, uh, his importance became more so because of Dickerson's absence. We'll get to that in a second. Let's start off, though, at number 35. That's cornerback Kyle Myers. He is a senior for Florida State. He started I think eight games last season. He's always been a, a decent sub package player, never a great starter, kind of a, a depth guy, if you will. Uh, Chris, what are your thoughts about Kyle Myers coming in at number 35? Do you think he's someone who's going to make uh, that much of an impact as like a strong sub package player? That's essentially where I'm putting him in the rankings as someone who who's going to be a valuable rotational piece. Do you think he even makes that with some of the influx of talent coming in in the defensive backfield this year? Yeah, I think he still has a role. I mean, I look at it as their top 22 are sort of starter types. Those sides are guys that are going to help you win games. To me, Kyle Myers is outside that realm, but he's also a contributor. He's a serviceable player. Um, I think it's fitting where he is. He's a guy that's shown he can be a good player. I think the biggest thing for him is being a more consistent go-to type when his number is called. I feel like for his career, for every good play he's made, he's made an equally bad play kind of want that ping pong effect to go away you want a guy being more consistent more down the middle kind of doing his job consistently every time his number is called but i think it's fitting fsu's going to roll out a lot of defensive backs so he definitely will still get an opportunity despite the fact that they bolstered the roster at that position that's what i'm interested to see is is he's always kind of the forgotten man i think um largely because like you alluded to chris it's his uh, he's very much so up and down when he does play he'll make some He'll have some really nice moments, uh, and then then he'll get, you know, well, he had a handful of pass interference calls last year, and, and he's someone, like, when something bad happens, he kind of snowballs. Um, but, but for the first, you know, three or four games last season, he was maybe FSU's top top cornerback or top defensive back, and he was making plays and uh, stout against, you know, screens and perimeter game and, and doing fine downfield and holding his own. But once things kind of snowballed for him, he was – he was done, and they ended up going in favor. Uh, they ended up going Asante Samuel Jr. and Stanford Samuels at cornerback to the end of the year, and I think that's going to be the starting combination moving forward. But but Kyle has a chance still to be a sub package guy. I, I am curious though whether they they end up having him get jumped with some younger guys. I had Travis J at 38, and he's someone I want to see him in person. But he's someone who probably will you know, be higher on this list next year. And I'm imagining we'll have a higher, you know, he'll, he'll be someone who gets integrated into the lineup pretty quickly. Uh, we have another freshman defensive back who we'll talk about later on this list as well, who I think is going to push for playing time in, in a sub package role. Uh, but let's go to number 34. And that was the guy I alluded to a little bit earlier. That's offensive lineman, Chas Neal, redshirt freshman. 
Chaz is well. Chaz has a chance to make an impact this year. Chris, <laughs> I know you're you're the lead uh, the lead member of the Chaz Neal fan club, so I'll uh, I'll kick it to you to talk about him at 34. He was the late entry onto our list. Chaz is ahead of where I expect him to be at this point in his FSU career. I just didn't expect anything really from him coming in. His high school film was pretty brutal. He was extremely raw. But to his credit, he spelled out really well. He's got a shun of willingness to be physical to get oh, after you're, him. You're allowed, you're allowed to, to say it. raw, Chris? You're allowed to say raw, but I can't? Well, he's, he is raw. <laughs> I mean, he played very little offensive tackle in his high school career. It was all new to him. It's not a matter of he's an experience at position. It's a matter that he's getting his first experience at position, really. He, uh, I mean, I, I don't think he's a guy you want to be relying upon this year. You know, I don't know if I'd even include him in the top 40. I understand why you did. I'm not really disagreeing with it, but I don't know if he's a guy that I want to be one of the 40 players you have to depend upon this year. But he may be forced into that role in part of because of Dickerson's departure. But, uh, I mean, I think Neil's future is brighter than his present. I think right now he's still a guy that, you know, he, he, he takes some major lumps if you have to roll him out there. But to his credit... He is working very hard to become a better football player, and he's shown a lot of growth since he put on the uniform. And he had a good spring. He he was a guy who, you know, I, I've commented on this many a time. Him and Jalen Goss are both guys you saw growth from in the spring. I just don't know that they're ready for prime time. And that's part of the rub there is I agree with you, Chris. I don't know if you want Chaz Neal to be someone that you're relying on heavily this year as a – either a swing tackle or a potential starter. Like, I mean, right now, if he's not going to be mixing up with Jawan Williams as a starting tackle, my guess is at the very least, he's the top backup at either tackle spot uh, based on what we know right now of the office line room. And obviously there's some variables. Uh, you know, how does Jay Williams progress in the off season inside FSU's weight room? What does FSU have in Darius Washington and Ira Henry when those guys arrive later in the summer? So like, those are variables that, still have to consider but but right now I, I think Chaz Neal's kind of pegged as at least the top swing tackle and maybe maybe someone who, who will end up pushing for starting time and I, even though he's I, both of us like what we saw from him this spring I think he's someone who cares I think he's someone who is willing to be physical and has the size and frame and he's put on about 30 or 40 pounds since he's been at Florida State like he's showing everything that that you need to see to feel better about him but Man, he's still, like you said, he is raw. He He's someone who didn't play a ton of offensive line that's still learning the position. I don't like the idea of thinking that, okay, he's he's my first line of defense if I lose a tackle or if someone doesn't play well. But that, that again, is why Dickerson was so high on our list because he was, even if it was only for a few games, someone who represented a stopgap from getting to that point. But maybe Chaz surprises us. Yeah. He's, already, he's already done so, so far. To, to me, Chaz Neal is the kind of guy, when you play the Alabama State for the world, you need to have on a guy out there and give him a few series to let him one wet the whistle and get a field court and two to get them on him. I think that would do him a great deal of good. But if you're relying on him as a potential starter against someone like a Boise, that that's concerning to me. All right, let's take a quick break to hear from our sponsors and then we'll rejoin with uh, 33, 32 and 31 to wrap up the podcast. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. 
Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. All right, we're back. Let's uh, let's keep, keep rolling here, Chris. Number 33 on our list of FSU's top 40 most important or 40 most important. Or top 40 players. It can't be top 40 most, right? That's grammatically incorrect and redundant. <laughs> but number 33 is safety Cyrus Fagan. Uh, he's a junior, someone who was expected to have a pretty meaningful role last season, if not start. And injury and confidence issues really hampered his season. This is this is a big year for Cyrus, right? I feel like this is make or break territory for him. Yeah, I, I would describe it as exactly that. He was a disappointment last year. And, you know, I think he lost confidence. He he dealt with the shoulder injury leading into the season. I think all those things combined just kind of left him, uh, you know, wandering in the wilderness last year, and he wasn't able to do a whole lot for that football team. He's a guy they like. They think he can play the Zeus role. They think he can have an uh, impact, certainly as a depth player, potentially as a guy that they can roll out there as a starter type. But at this point, he has to do it. He's not really shown any consistency back there in his career at FSU, so it's it is definitely now or never time for him. I was told he had a good spring, and I know we saw some flashes of, uh, you know, when we were at practice of him being a little bit more confident and flying around more than we saw it for sure in the spring game. I thought he was a lot more willing to be physical than he had been in the past, and I imagine that's that shoulder neck injury that he was dealing with last year, probably being a little bit better. But uh, we uh, we heard that he he was indeed performing better in practice. Uh, so that's something to keep an eye on. Is that is that something that carries over this summer and into the into the regular season? Because if he is healthy, and this is why I had him at 33, I think if he is healthy and if he is confident, he opens up a ton of options for you in the secondary. Uh, he he's someone who can cover a lot of ground, and he he could fill that Zeus role. And what he essentially allows you to do, if he is healthy and playing playing well, um, you can move Levante Taylor around and put him in the slot if that's what you want to do. You could put Akeem Dent as an outside corner and use his coverage skills uh, on pa- on passing downs. So you can move Jaden Lars Woodby uh, up into the box sometimes too. Like it opens up, I think, a few more possibilities for you to feel good about if he's someone who can consistently hold his own on the back end of the defense. Do you think 33 is about where he should be, or is that a little little earlier on the list than than maybe? Because I think a lot of people that was one of the bigger criticisms so far is people didn't think Fagan belonged to be at this range. You thought that probably more in the 40s i to me he could be i understand that argument i think the thing that benefits him is that there's a lot of db so if things do go bad he can be put up on the bench learn from it come back it's not one of these things where he's going to be relied upon because there's nobody else to rely upon so i think that helps him but as far as his ranking yeah i could see him being a guy that's not on the list i think i think 30 to 40 is a very arbitrary area of a list like this because you're you're going with guys that you're maybe expecting more from them than they've ever given you. Keith Gavin, Cyrus Fagan, two guys that I think fit that moniker, or guys that you don't really yet know what they are, but you're throwing them out there thinking they have a shot. You know, a guy like Akeem Dent, Dante Lucas, who I know isn't going to be discussed today, but is 30 on the list. Spoiler. Um, you know, other uh, Travis Jay. I think guys like that are, they fall into that portion. So I think 
you can kind of swing 30 to 40. If you sat down and you wrote everybody outside your top 30, you took 30 to about 55, really, you know, most of those guys probably could have an argument for being 30 to 40, and plenty of them could have arguments for not being included on the list. So I'm fine with it. I, I think Fagan's a guy that maybe his window of opportunity has kind of closed to some degree. So I understand people that think he may not be deserving of being on there. That's one thing that I learned from doing this list, and it's it started off largely as just a thing to do over the summer and to kind of keep uh, keep our readers engaged, to give something to talk about, for me to have numbers to hit. You know, I have to do a certain amount of articles, uh, but it's a good way for me. It's turned into this, Chris, is to take inventory of what's on the roster, what they have, and and this. You know, last year I was struggling where to place guys because I felt like there were so many unknowns with the new staff and how they were going to use guys. Uh, this season to me, at least the way it feels is the back end of the roster feels awfully thin. Like there weren't a whole lot of really tough cuts from that 30 to 40 range. And that is a fairly arbitrary amount or fairly arbitrary area because those guys aren't starters, you know, uh, more than likely, maybe some of them squeeze into being starters, but you're talking about the twenties are where the starters are. Uh, so this, this range is more the, the guys who, you know, kind of the boomer bus types or the freshmen that we don't know much about, but man, like there were maybe four or five other guys when I was trying to think of, okay, who to put in, in place of Landon Dickerson. And it was Chaz Neal. There was only a handful of guys that I really think were a contention, like quite quite Sean Fuller was one Jordan young, maybe, uh, there weren't a ton of guys, though. I think that kind of shows that this is still very much so a roster that's that's a work in progress. Yeah, and, and they're somewhat shorthanded at this point, too. I mean, uh, the roster is not as deep as it was two to three years ago, and they're a little bit of a swing state as far as guys leaving the program. The transfer portals brought about an entirely new um, kind of way of having to handle roster management. Yeah, no, for sure. So let's move on to number 32. This is the Bob Ferranti special. It's punter Logan Tyler. Uh, Logan had a really nice season last year. I think he was either first or second in the ACC in yards per punt. Uh, he set school records for for total uh, total yards as a punter and for punt attempts, which isn't a good thing uh, <laughs> at all. But, uh, but uh, yeah, I think he's an important piece to the puzzle. If Florida State is going to win some close games, you need to have a good punter. He's been consistently better throughout his career and, and actually had some really great games last year that were overshadowed because the punts really ended up not making a huge difference. Yeah, I'm, I'm fine with where he's at. I mean, FSU's offense is a little boomer bust, so when it busts, you need a punter to be effective at flipping the field and putting the defense at, you know, not a disadvantage as the ball is turned over. So, to me, he's important in that sense. I think Logan's shown improvement every year of his career here, so he's a guy that I think is reliable and you can expect a lot for it. I'm, I'm fine with specialists because they are an important part of the game. Yeah, and I wouldn't want to put him too much higher, too, because, well, you saw what happened last year. Was that he had a good season and doesn't really affect, you know, the wins and losses that much if everything else is still a mess. And I think that's kind of the, when we talk about the roster and the reconstruction, like you talked about earlier, Chris, that the staff is still in the process of doing. There's a lot more important pieces that you need to get in place before you can really say a punter or a kicker is going to make a big difference. Uh, let's go up to 31 and the last guy we're going to talk about on this list. And that's freshman defensive back, Akeem Dent. Is he a safety? Is he a cornerback? I, I think he's a guy who's going to make an impact somewhere this year. I'm just not entirely sure where and, and the exact extent of it right now. What do you think, Chris? I think he's a center field safety. And I think he's a guy that could have been in the top 25. I think he's going to compete for starting time. 
I think it's a similar case to Asante Samuel last year with maybe not off the bat he's that guy. But I can certainly see if somebody falters him taking that role and running away with it. I, uh, I'm i going to give a semi-hot take here. I, I think highly of Akeem Dent. Uh, I don't think I think as highly of him right now as others do, although I think he'll be a guy who's going to be, and you talk about shit, you know, making a uh, – a shift in culture. I was almost, I almost said a bad word there, a shift in culture. Uh, he's going to play a big role in that because of his personality, because of the way he approaches the game. He's, he's always talking. He's very confident. If he misses up, up, messes up on a play, misses an assignment, he rebounds pretty quickly. And we saw that in the spring. Uh, he's someone that makes a lot of plays and is around the football. But here's what I'm going to say, Chris, I think he still has a long way to go. I think Asante Samuel was far more polished, even though he's undersized and far more secure in his role and knew what he was uh, as a freshman. than I think Akeem Dent was now apples to oranges. I'm basing what we heard and saw about Dent through the spring. And he obviously has time to get solidified and have, have camp and have more practices uh, under him. But I, I think he's someone who, Gave up a lot of plays, too, uh, in practice. He made some really great plays and showed amazing range and instincts, but you even saw it in the spring game. He got beat deep a couple of times. He was out of position. Uh, I think he just needs a little bit more seasoning before I'm ready to say, okay, he's he's assuring for the starter, which if you're talking about him being in the 20 range, uh, you know, that's, that's starting territory. But it's a fairly arbitrary distinction right now. I mean, we're talking about maybe a tier below. I think he's going to be a sub-package player early put him in solely on passing downs, let him be able to concentrate on one aspect of the game. And maybe by the end of the year, uh, he's someone who, who settles into to a legitimate starting role. Yeah, I, I think highly of him in part because I think safety is an undetermined position. I think there's a lot of guys who are capable, but we saw that position be sort of a mess last year. I think it's kind of forward of taking. I love his competitiveness. I love his dogged nature. I think he just gets after it. Um, you know, I do agree that there was certainly moments in the spring where you saw that dude's a freshman. He gambled on all that in high school. He would have won on, but he's not competing against high school passers or high school receivers. But he also makes a hell of a lot of plays. Sure. So it's kind of a give and take. But I think if we can become a little more consistent with picking his punches and understanding that sometimes you just play to the play and not, you know, trying to make a play on the ball, I think that can go a long way. I just... I'm not betting against Keen Dent because I think FSU's desperately looking for guys who they know will compete every single play. I think that's why they love Asante so much last year. And I agree. I agree. He's refined. He's very good at his technique. He does all those things well that pleases the coach in the practice setting. But the other part of Asante is that he's so damn competitive and he got after it and he brought it consistently play to play to play. I think Akeem has a lot of those very positive qualities. I don't think he's raw or, you know, has a ton to clean up. I think he needs to understand he's moving on from the high school game and now playing the big boy college game. And I, I think that's a thought process that, you know, hopefully he took away from the spring and learned some lessons from some moments where he made himself look bad because he tried to make something happen. And like you said, he often made plays too. And I think that's significant because last year Florida State's defensive backs were in position to make plays uh, and they didn't make nearly enough of them. And they ended up giving up. They ended up allowing a lot of big plays too. And that's kind of the 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 negative. There is is it's a defensive scheme that is supposed to be kind of boomer bust. Uh, they want you to be aggressive. Right. They are going to allow some big plays over the top in exchange for you make some and get the the ball back to your offense quickly. That didn't happen nearly yeah. enough. 
So that's that's where Dan like you, you can kind of live with him making some mistakes out there too, as long as he's giving it to you on the other end. And and I and I think we both saw and heard uh, that he did that play this spring, right? I think with Dan, the thing with him is you know he's gonna go boom once in a while. He's gonna make big plays. As long as the putts are infrequent and they don't change the scoreboard drastically, I think he's a guy that really can play himself into a major role. But safety is one of those positions. they got a lot of bodies right out there. It's going to be figured out by the way guys playing games. I think you see a healthy rotation. It will be interesting when we're at the halfway point of the season if they've kind of had a guy or two seize control of their main two safety spots. And for the record, like, you know, I have Dent ahead of Kyle Myers and I have him ahead of Cyrus Fagan on this list. So, like, I, I think highly of him. And I think he's someone, if he lives up to his – his blue chip billing very quickly in his career. Like he makes one or both of those guys more or less afterthoughts to where like their role, even as sub package players or it, it's diminished. So I, I think we're both more or less on the same page with, with Akeem Dent. Uh, he probably will be someone who, when we do, when I go back and do this list next year, will be much, much higher up on it. Probably in the twenties. If, if everything goes according to plan for him, uh, maybe even in the teens, uh, we all think he's going to have a good career at Florida state. Chris, I'm going to let you go in a minute here because uh, it sounds kind of like you're doing doing some uh, lunar lunar landing again. Where are you, like in Macon right now? Um, north of like Colquitt. Colquitt. All right. So yeah, you're entering you're entering some dead zone there. Uh, real quick, did you hear what Jimbo Fisher said at the at the yeah. SEC spring meetings? Yeah. Yes, I, I saw that. I uh, well, yeah, well, hey, let, let's mean, set, I, let's set it up for the for the people who haven't seen it yet. He was asked. I'm not sure who, but I aggregated the Tampa Bay Times uh, story on it. I'm not sure who talked to Jimbo about it, but he's was asked about FSU and the program, and he said it's quote unquote in great shape. So take take it around with it, big boy. I, I saw what he said. I don't really know what people expected him to say. You know, he could have gone with the cop out answer. I'm just concentrating on Texas A&M football. He could also, you know, admitted that he left the program in disarray and the academics were a mess and talked about his relationship with the AD who's no longer there and the Booster Foundation and everything he didn't like and everything he disagreed with and everything he felt like was against him. And he could have done all that, but I don't expect that from Jimbo Fisher. But I, I was kind of surprised by the answer he gave because, like, I figured he'd go with the diplomatic answer because that's how he sort of was in his time here sometimes with topics of that sort where he just didn't feel like talking about where he'd steer away from it. But whatever. I've, I've gone to a therapist a lot. I'm on, like, stage seven. I'm getting over Jimbo. I think I'm in a good place. I'm not going to, you know, revert and fall off the wagon. That would, would you rather talk about Jimbo Fisher or DeAndre Francois for 10 minutes? We're not going to do it, but I'm just asking preference. Like, what would you, what would you least – what would be more appalling to you, talking about which one for an extended period of time? I would actually – I'd rather talk about Jimbo because there were actually some good times. <laughs> All right, dude. Thanks for joining me. I appreciate it. I know you're busy and I know you're traveling right now. For our listeners, uh, I'm not going to ask for a five star review for this one because the quality was not five star in terms of uh, in terms of audio. But it was kind of like a nice reminder, I think, to show how far we've come. You know, sometimes you need to see the ex's Instagram to remember, like, oh, you know, it used to be a lot worse than it is now. At least for me, I'm happily married. Chris is too right? Yes. <laughs> With Knowles 24-7's On the Bench podcast, this is Brendan Sinone. Chris, thanks for joining me. We'll be back next week with Josh and with better audio, and I won't complain about audio anymore, I promise. Stick in the landing! <laughs>